0: Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, You too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out, And wept bitterly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's that time of the year, right? On Thursday it started. You know what I'm talking about? Opening day. Thursday, opening day for baseball, right? We finally uh, got to experience baseball after this oh, long winter, right? And, and so uh, what is it about opening day that's exciting for, for us? Well, uh, I, I would say it's a, it's a time of new beginnings, right? Everyone on opening day has a chance to win 162 games straight and go to the playoffs and make it to the World Series, even... Even the Detroit Tigers have a chance on opening days, right? And so it's a, it's a time of, of, of new beginnings. And we go to, to baseball games and, and we, we celebrate uh, this, this new time. We, we sing songs like, take me out to the ball game. Take me out, where? To the crowd. It's, it's a new time. It's, it's, it's a new, new place. We get to be there. We get to have the sun shining down on us. It's an exciting time of the year. This year in Major League Baseball, there have been a couple rule changes. Anyone aware of those? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Some baseball diehard fans definitely know what I'm talking about. And so these rule changes, a couple that I'll I'll mention. First, the pitch clock, right? The pitch clock is meant to speed up the game of baseball so that a pitcher has 15 seconds if there's no one on base and then 20 seconds if there's someone on base to get into his next pitch. So that was the, the time change, and then there's a changing in the placement of players a little bit, right? So now, infielders, they have to be fully on the dirt, right? So the infielders can't be playing in the outfield. They have to stay on the infield, and there have to be two infielders on each side of second base, right? So essentially eliminating The the shift, the infield shift. Because what would happen is that they would know, oh, this batter, he almost always pulls to the right. So we're going to shift our entire infield over to that side. And and what are the the reasons for these rule changes? The reasoning, the rationale behind them, twofold. First, a time clock, right? Make the games shorter, (laughs) Baseball games can get a little bit long, in some people's opinions. And so they're trying to, in a world of, of social media, of TikTok, of instant gratification, let's, let's maybe speed things up a little bit. And by keeping the infielders spread out, make them, the game a little bit more exciting, so that there's more hits. So these rule changes, they, they're shifting the, the timing, and the placement of the players. <laughs> Some people love these rule changes. Some people, not so much, right? The, the diehard, the baseball purist, they'll say things like, a clock in baseball? This isn't basketball or football, it's baseball. We don't have a clock in baseball. This is, you're, you're just undermining the integrity of the game. And rules about where the players can play, hey, you know what I say, hit it where they ain't, right? If they, if they put all their players on one side of the field, it's the batter's job to hit it the other direction. So there's different times, different, um, I'm sorry, perspectives, feelings on these rule changes regarding time and place. We are in a series called "Follow Me." This year. We're going through the book of Matthew, and specifically during this season of Lent, and now entering into Holy Week. We are looking at the places of the passion. This is sort of how we're we're preparing ourselves for this week, the holiest week in our calendar, for Good Friday, for Easter coming up. And we've been taking a look at the, the places that Jesus visited after he processed into Jerusalem on the donkey on Palm Sunday. So places of that Passion Week, places like, well, Jerusalem as a whole or the temple or uh, places like Bethany, the suburb of, of Jerusalem, like the Upper Room, where he celebrated communion and instituted the Lord's Supper, Gethsemane, where he said his prayers, or today, places like Caiaphas's house specifically the courtyard outside of his house. We're taking a look at those places, and as we come to understand them more fully, then we can be prepared to worship our Lord even more greatly on Good Friday and on Easter. So today, we look at this place, Caiaphas' Caiaphas' house. So let's take a look. Here's our map that we've been looking at the past few weeks. And so, you know, of course, this is all of Jerusalem, Jerusalem area, metro area, if you will. And we have the temple mound here in the, uh, on, the on the hill, right? And, and it's huge, obviously. Uh, we have looked at places like the, the upper room. So that's like down here, John's house. Bethany is over on the other side of the Mount of Olives last week garden of gethsemane where jesus said his prayers before he is arrested and be, betrayed and arrested the, valley, the kidron valley you can see the, the perspective here about 1 mile so so to go from garden of gethsemane over to jerusalem there's a couple miles uh, hike right and so now jesus he has been betrayed he has been arrested in the middle of the night and taken by the soldiers, the temple guard primarily, taken here from the Garden of Gethsemane and taken back pretty close to the same area, same community where he celebrated communion, the Lord's Supper with his disciples. This is a picture of some ruins of what we think might have been Caiaphas's house. Now, this one needs to have a few asterisks on it. First of all, we know for a fact this is not the the courtyard that Peter was in. It's on top of the courtyard that Peter would have been in, we think. right? So this was a later build, but built on top of, we think, the ruins. Now, I have to say we think because there haven't been Archaeological digs to verify that this indeed was Caiaphas's home, but we have a pretty good area. This general area of Jerusalem is where there were large homes. In fact, there was a large home that was recently, or relatively recently, excavated, and was found. And the home was 6,500 square feet, and so is good size. These were posh homes, Uh, and and you can see here, if we think that the home that uh, Peter was in, Caiaphas' house, was similar to the one that we found, it probably looks something like this. Uh, And and there would have been here a courtyard kind of outside, uh, open air, if you will, but maybe within the complex of Caiaphas' home. And so Jesus He's drugged there, and he's drugged to this place, and it's the middle of the night. Now, what, why does that matter? That he was taken here in the middle of the night. Well, I would say this, because it was the wrong time and the wrong place. When Jesus was brought to this home of Caiaphas, he was Brought before the Jewish ruling council, what's referred to as the Sanhedrin, the 71 elders and scribes that kind of oversaw the the rulings in in Jerusalem. He was brought to Caiaphas' home, but normally that group, the Sanhedrin, they didn't meet in Caiaphas' house. That wasn't their or, uh, ordinary courts, but in fact, they had a, a court called the, uh, I think, Court of Hewn Stone on the Temple Mound area, part of that complex. That was their regular office, their, their meeting hall, if you will. So this was, it's a little suspect that it's now in someone's private residence that they're meeting. And the time of the day, I mean, this is, we're what, Midnight? 1 a.m., the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and Sadducees and elders had been gathered together in the middle of the night. Do you think this was just an accident? Think No, no, I think there was probably a little bit uh, of planning, maybe from Caiaphas. They knew, hey, we got Judas. He's on our side. He's going to betray Jesus be ready. And so they, they kind of knew what was happening. They knew they were sending out the temple guard to get J- Jesus that evening and to bring him back. And so here they are. They're gathered together, middle of the night, in Caiaphas' private home. And the mock trial of Jesus begins. Kangaroo court. Some have referred to it as. And they're trying to get their act together. They desperately want to kill Jesus. They're trying to find witnesses, but everyone eh, is just muddled testimony. They're trying to at least pretend that it's legitimate by getting multiple witnesses where two or three are gathered. There's, There's maybe validity to the saying. Finally, they find... A couple individuals that claimed that Jesus claimed that he was going to tear down the temple, which Jesus didn't specifically say, not in Matthew's gospel. Jesus predicted the fall of the temple in Matthew's gospel, but he didn't say he was going to do anything against it. But it was false testimony. Matthew makes that clear. And even when they come together and they have this testimony, about the temple and charges against Jesus, Caiaphas, the high priest, the high priest, they were appointed by the Roman rulers at this point, and so Caiaphas, he uh, actually served as high priest for I think it was about 11 years, which is significant because the high priests around him only served maybe a year at a time, so it shows he was probably a pretty savvy politician and he was with Jesus, and he, he's talking to Jesus. And he sa- asked Jesus, have you no answer to make to these charges? And Jesus remained silent. And nothing could move. So you can almost sense the frustration from Caiaphas, from the Sanhedrin at this point. And the high priest, getting fired up, says to him, uh, in verse 63, I adjure you, by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus speaks. He says, you have said so. Same words that he used when Judas asked, is it me, Lord? Is it me who's going to betray you? You have said so. Same words that he's going to use in just a couple hours when he's talking to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so. But he goes on. And he makes it very clear what he's saying. I tell you, from now on, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, we have to understand what Jesus is doing here because that's maybe highfalutin flower language that we don't exactly understand. But the high priest, someone who knew the Old Testament scriptures, he knew what Jesus was doing. He was referring to two Old Testament scriptures. One, Daniel chapter 7. and you see it? With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom. The other... Old Testament scripture that Jesus is is referencing, alluding to in this statement is Psalm 110 verse 1 where the Lord says, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies a footstool. So when, when Jesus says, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power in my, in my version, the English Standard Version, powers capitalized. Who is that? God the Father. And coming on the clouds of heaven, everyone knows what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man prophesied in the Old Testament. Now why does he use this type of, of language as he's speaking to Caiaphas? Well, if we think back just a few days, Jesus was, was in the temple speaking openly, publicly, referring to some of these things, talking about these things. And it seemed the Caiaphas and the religious leaders just couldn't hear. It was like they're they're talking a different language. And so what does Jesus do at this point? he goes to the old testament he says if you need to, if you want to understand me if you want to know who i am let's use the old testament language that's who i am it's worth stopping here Because I think we live in a world today where maybe we can be talking past other people. In a world today that uses words like love, words like equity and equality, justice, right? But those words... Sometimes when we, when we talk to people, we recognize, hmm, I don't think you mean the same thing I mean when I use those words. And so it's so important for us that as, as we use those words as Christians, as we come to understand those words, that those words are grounded in this word, in, in the Scriptures. Because that is the true definition, God's word, of what those words actually mean. Jesus gives us an example to follow. Follow me. But of course, we don't stop there. Jesus... When he said this, when he says, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of, of heaven, Caiaphas at that moment doesn't say, I don't know what you mean. I'm confused. No. What does Caiaphas do? Rips his garments. Right? He gets it. He knows what Jesus just said. Blasphemy, he shouts. What are we supposed to do with him? What do you say? Everyone, you heard what was going on. You heard what Jesus said. To death with him. To death with him. And they start spinning on him and they start mocking him and they slap him and they strike him. Strike the shepherd and the flock shall scatter. See, we we see here yeah, the relig- religious rulers are mocking Jesus, but it's more than that. It's deeper than that. God himself, the hand of God, was striking Jesus. From that moment, what Jesus said started to come true. The religious leaders saw beginning of Jesus coming into his glory. <laughs> it didn't look that way right away. looked like a lot of pain, a lot of blood, a lot of rejection, a lot of death. But that is what led. That's why Jesus, when he says, from now on, you will see. They're seeing it. <laughs> when the clouds came pouring in a few hours later over Calvary as Jesus hung upon the cross, they saw what was happening. Three days later, when Jesus gets up from the dead, they saw Jesus coming into his power, Jesus coming into glory. When Jesus was ascended on the clouds into heaven, <laughs> people saw Jesus coming to the right hand of God the Father and sitting by his side while his enemies were made his footstool people saw Jesus amongst other things was a prophet all along this this whole time someone else was there that's Peter Matthew tells us that he was there when Jesus came into Caiaphas's home, that he entered into the, the courtyard, and that now Jesus, or now Peter, excuse me, was sitting outside in the courtyard, and someone comes up to him, a servant girl, and she said, You also were with Jesus, the Galilean, right? And he denied it before them, all saying, I do not know what you mean. Strike one. Let's think about this a a, a little bit more. Servant girl coming to Peter, calling him out. In that culture, in that world, servant girl, that's a local, that's a a housemaid. She didn't have any status, any power, but something had changed. Just a few hours before, Peter, I will go to death. But what's changed? The time? And the place, (laughs) the time and place have changed. It's easy for Peter to say, I will go to death for you. I will stand with you this whole time. It's easy to say that when he was with his fellow disciples. But they're scattered now. They're not in the upper room. They're not in Gethsemane. They're in enemy territory. Peter's tune has changed went out to the entrance, and another servant girl is there, and she said to to the bystanders, this man, this one right here, he's with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it even more emphatically with an oath this time. I don't know the man. Strike two. And after a little while, bystanders came up And said to Peter, those who had heard him speak, certainly you were with Jesus. Your accent betrays you. We can identify maybe a Texan accent (laughs) in our world today. Or some people say, I have an accent. They sound like I'm from the North Midwest or or Minnesota or something, right? Um, I don't think so. But some people hear it, apparently. Uh, his accent is giving him away because he's from Galilee. They spoke a little different; they had a different dialect of Aramaic that they that they spoke. So, call him out again. I don't know the man. That's what Peter says. He invokes a curse. He swears. If we are, if we had a cartoon picture of Peter at this point, it would be Peter with a bubble off to the side with. Asterisks and squiggly signs and you know, Peter was emphatic at this point, right? He's swearing, I don't know the man and the rooster crows. He struck to his heart, realizing what he's just done. But there's more. Because Jesus knew. Jesus knew all along. Hours before, he predicted this. He predicted that you would all, all of you, speaking to his disciples, you'll all fall away. And as emphatically as Peter denied it and renounced it, it's true. Everyone, even Peter, maybe especially Peter, fell away. But when Jesus made that prediction, he said something else. He said, But when I rise, meet me in Galilee on a certain mountain. I'll see you there. Jesus had a predetermined time and place. When I rise, meet me at a mountain in Galilee. And it happened. Jesus rose. Three days later, they didn't believe it. They had a hard time believing it. But finally, they look in the tomb. He's not there. They're wondering what is going on. They go to Galilee. And what does Jesus do? He meets them. And not only does he meet them, he commissions them to do work for him, for the kingdom of God, the great commission. For us today, it's easy in a place like this to have a a bold confession of Christ, to stand up and strongly say, yes, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son, in the Holy Spirit and in the church. It's easy here at 1041 on Sunday morning when we're with other Christians. It's easy when we're having meals on Wednesday night at a community group and we're with other Christians. But what about those times when we're in school and kids are starting to give us a hard time? You don't actually believe that stuff about like saving sex till marriage kind of thing, do you? Hmm. Oh, yeah, that's silly. Or what about at work, when, when someone comes up to you and, and says, yeah, can you believe those of evangelicals and what they say? You don't, you don't actually believe that, do you? You're not one of those Jesus freaks, are you? You know, the, the, the Bible, that's just a, an old book. You don't actually believe everything, do you? Oh, it's so much harder when we want to be liked, when we want to be accepted, to just do what Peter did. Slowly step out of the courts, slip away, and deny our Lord Jesus. But he knew that we were fickle, knew that we would fall, and he set up a predetermined time and place to come, to gather around his word of grace and forgiveness and salvation, his word of, of hope, to gather with, with other believers to be strengthened in our faith, to come to the altar and receive once again the body and blood of our Lord for the forgiveness of sins and to be restored and to be commissioned by our Lord to then go out. Peter gave one of the greatest sermons in Christian history on Pentecost. We too can be used by Jesus to give testimony to this world that's so desperately in need of a Savior. May we be strengthened by our Lord Jesus and by His grace as we go out today and throughout this week.